10 years old for the last 17 years, and so I've grown up here, and, and I love this place. I love this family that we have. And I just want to say thank you for allowing me to be a part of your family. Uh, thank you for the honor that I get to come and speak to you this morning. And so I just want to say thank you. But more importantly, uh, anybody excited to worship God this morning? Anybody? That's good. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. And so uh, last week we started a series called Clear. And uh, the reason we decided to do this series Clear um, is sometime during the summer, maybe even before the summer, about six months ago, we started to really wrestle as a staff with who are we as a church. You know, we know who we used to be, we know what our, our mission used to be, and, but who are we now? You know, there's like this uncertainty or there, there wasn't a lot of clarity behind who we want to be as a church. And so we started to wrestle with, uh, you know, what, who do we want to be? And who do we, uh, what do we want to stand for? And so after a lot of time and a lot of advice and a lot of going back and forth, we came up with a vision statement for our church that we actually rolled out um, uh, probably about a month ago now. And uh, the vision statement that we came up with is right here uh, on the screen. And if we could all say it together, but uh, not, not, you know, like you just woke up, okay, but if we could say this, uh, like we mean it, you know, okay? So you guys ready? One, two, three. Love God, live change, light the way. Come on, somebody. That's good. You know, love God. You know, when you get to know how much God loves you, and how he feels about you, that he was willing to send his one and only son for your sin. And you experience that kind of love, the only response would be to love him back. To love God and through our love for God and loving him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that, that we would experience a transformed life, that we would live differently from this point forward. Not from a place of coercion, but from a place of grace, from a place of love. And through that change, people would see the transformation and we would begin to light the way and show people who Jesus is. Isn't that good? That's who we want to be. That's where we want to go as a church. You know, but uh, there's this really profound statement, you know, that I wanted to show you. And, and it has to do with the vision and how it relates to the mission. You see, check this out. You see, a vision without a mission is like a Ferrari without fuel. It may look impressive, but it won't get you anywhere. Right? A vision without a mission is like a Ferrari without fuel. It may look, that's deeply profound, y'all. It may look impressive, but it won't get you anywhere. And so we started to ask, how are we going to get to where we want to be? And these are the three areas that we came up with as a staff, and it was follow as disciples, connect as a family, and go as missionaries. Follow, connect, and go. And last week, Peter talked about follow, and this week, uh, I'm going to preach to you on the subject of connecting as a family. And to be honest with you, uh, I really uh, didn't want to preach on this one. Uh, you're like, man, that is not cool, you know, but... but I, I thought, you know, we just spent six weeks this summer talking about connecting as a family, you know, and I'm like, I feel like we've exhausted all options when it comes to connecting, but you can't really limit the word of God, amen? It's alive, it's active, and uh, God has a word, I think, for us this morning, and so uh, what started out is something that I wasn't excited about, now I'm fired up about. There we go. So... Today we're going to talk, I'm going to preach to you on this idea of connecting as a family. And the passage we're going to look at is a passage of scripture that I think a lot of people have read. In fact, I would put my money on it that at least probably about 90%, and I'm not a gambling man, I don't promote gambling, but I would say that a lot of people in this room have read this scripture, that you've heard this before. And, and, and we're going to read this together, and so I want to, I want to, basically give this passage to you, but I want to frame it in a way that I think will give you, hopefully that will give you a new perspective and a new appreciation and a new insight. And I'm going to try to do that by sharing with you a story very briefly that I think is pretty cool. It's in Exodus 
the Old Testament book, Exodus. And I'm going to attempt to try to connect two verses here as we begin. This is just my intro. But in Exodus chapter 32, we have the leader, Moses. How many people have heard of Moses before? Let me see a raise of hands. Okay, so Moses, he was a wise guy. And uh, in Exodus chapter 32, Moses, who was the leader of Israel, went up on a mountain to meet with God. Face to face, meet with God. And while he was up there, God gave him a gift. And that gift that he gave him was called the law. Now you may know it as the Ten Commandments. But he gave Moses the gift of the law. And when Moses came down off the mountain with this gift from God, he sees that his people, the Israelites, have been worshiping another God. He comes down off this mountain from being face to face with God, and he comes down this mountain and he sees that his people are bowing down at a golden statue in the form of a calf. And Moses was so angry. He was livid. He, he was so upset that he smashed the two tablets. And that day the law was broken. In fact, the situation was so severe that in Exodus chapter 32, verse 27, the Bible says that Moses said to the people, this is what he had to say. He said, then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. Because they had bowed down to another God, because they had broken the law, they had to go back and forth through the camp, killing their brother, their friend, and their neighbor. The Levites, one of the tribes of Israel, did as Moses commanded, and that day about how many? How many? About 3,000 of the people died. 3,000 people died that day. And what a random scripture to start our service off. I understand. But what we see is that because the people of Israel had sinned and because they had broken God's law, they had to face some very extreme consequences. And in other words, we see that the law had produced death. And even though the law was good, it was a gift from God, it was a good thing, due to the simple fact that we are not good, the law became an opportunity to destroy us through our sin. It became an opportunity to destroy us, and as a result, we saw that 3,000 people died that day. So that's the first story I wanted to tell you. The second one I want to tell you is all the way into the New Testament in the book of Acts. You see, Jesus has already been crucified at this point, resurrected from the dead, and now he's went up to be in heaven, and the disciples were gathered together in this upstairs room of this house, and they were waiting for this promise called the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus had told them the Holy Spirit would come in a special way when he had ascended into heaven. You guys with me so far? Now in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that when the day of Pentecost came and all these people gathered in Jerusalem from all over, when the day of Pentecost came, the twelve were all together in one place when all of a sudden this, this sound like the blowing of a great wind blew through the house. And what seemed to be tongues of fire came down on each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in different languages they, they did not know so that the people who had gathered in Jerusalem could hear the gospel of Jesus that day. It was an incredible event. By the way, turn to the person next to you and just tell them he knows where he's going with this. Go, go ahead and say that. I promise. He knows where he's going with this. Now, you're like, what is going on here? Okay, now Peter, okay, Bringing it back in now. Peter, who was such a coward, Peter, who was such a coward that he had denied Jesus three times. The day that Jesus was crucified, when a little girl came up to him and said, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he said, I don't even know the man. Three times he denied Jesus the night he was crucified. 
And that same Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, stands up and he begins to preach with such power that he actually challenged the people in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. It says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Them are fighting words. That doesn't sound like a coward. That sounds like a man who's full of the Holy Spirit. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them. That means he just talked for a long time. And he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message, this is, this is what, what I'm getting at here. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wait a second. If you were a Jew, don't you think you would have known the story from Exodus chapter 32? When Moses was up on the mountain face to face with God and as he came down from that mountain, he came down with this gift called the law. But when he saw his people worshiping a different God, he, he, the, the law was broken and 3,000 people were killed. Now we have Jesus who went up to the Father, who sent down the gift called the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit came, the writer of Acts wants us to know, hello, connection, connection. About 3,000 people were added to their number that day. I don't think it's any coincidence. I think this was an announcement God wanted to make for you and for every one of us that the old way of doing things is gone. You see, the old way of doing things is over. The old ways of doing things brought death. And I don't care how good you are on your best day, there's no way that you could ever take it, make it, do it on your own. You will always fall short. But when the Spirit of God came, a new day of grace came. And when Jesus sent down the Spirit, he sent his presence to live inside of us. Isn't that incredible? And check this out. 3,000 people, the ones who were baptized that day, are now the very first church of Jesus Christ. They, they are the very first church of Jesus Christ. And so what immediately follows in verse 42 is the first glimpse of what the church looked like, the way God wanted it to be. And we get to learn from that example today. I hope you're excited. Father, we come to you in prayer. And we thank you for your spirit. God, that you are today announcing you know, the old way of doing things, the old way that brought death is no longer here. But your spirit has come to announce freedom. But not freedom like in, in, in some of the ways that we think freedom, God, that we want to be autonomous and we want to do our own thing and we want to be individuals. But freedom in Christ, freedom from sin, that we would be able to connect with one another as family. God, speak to us. Open our hearts. I pray that we would be excited this morning. What a privilege it is to meet in public when so many of our brothers and sisters around the world today are suffering in the name of Jesus Christ. Let us not take it for granted. And God, let us open our hearts. Holy Spirit, open our, our eyes this morning and our ears to hear and to see the things that you want to see in our life. We need you, God. We are desperate for you. There's nothing that we want more than you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, Ayumi and I, um, last night, as I was working on my lesson, and I was looking at our calendar, and I realized, as I was counting the days, uh, that we are exactly 40 days away from celebrating our fifth 
anniversary together. And uh, it's just exciting, you know, it just caused me to kind of reflect on our relationship a little bit. And there's a very uh, well-known passage in Proverbs 31 that talks about a woman of noble character. And, and, and I just, as I was thinking about my wife, you know, this was the, um, this was the day we got married uh, almost five years ago. And um, there's a verse that I believe describes my wife that says her husband is full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. And as I look at my marriage so far and as we come up on five years, I, that's how I feel. I feel like my wife has done nothing but add value to my life to help me become a, a better man of God. And, uh, you know, she brought up the fact that when we were on our honeymoon, I said that we were going to go back to Hawaii on our fifth anniversary. So I got about 40 days to make it happen. And uh, I don't know how I'm going to do that. But uh, one of the things I love about our relationship, one of the things I love about our relationship is the differences that we have. Now, I know that the differences in relationships are oftentimes the source of conflict, right? Because we, we don't understand why they don't do things the way we do them, right? But being married to Ayumi, I, I, I mean, to the point where we just laugh at a lot of the differences that we have. You know, one of the most uh, glaring differences that we have is that my wife is Japanese. Uh, she grew up and was born in the country of Japan. And I grew up as an all-American boy, Okay. Yeah, an all-American boy, yeah. So, you know, when, I married, when we got married, you know, one of the things that I appreciated, because I'm so American, you know, I think my diet basically consisted of, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers and, and probably like sandwiches and grilled cheese, stuff like that. You know, and when I married my wife, she kind of opened my eyes to this world of food. Like, there's other food out there that I can experience. And so, you know, for me... I, and it was so different, though, and I kind of hated it sometimes, you know, that she would, would kind of force me. You say, yeah, at least take one bite, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know what I mean? And she always wants to share food, which I'm like, I, I ordered the food because I want to eat it, you know what I mean? Like, that's how I feel, you know? Like, she, like it's funny because she always wants to know what I order before she gives her order. I said, no, I'm not telling you because I know what, what she's doing is she wants to base her meal off of my meal. I said, no. It's not going to happen, right? But, you know, I love that about her. I love that she introduces me to new things. And I remember our first trip to Japan, and uh, what a culture shock that was for me uh, in so many ways. And uh, I remember our first night with the whole family. Uh, I hadn't met the whole family yet, and so we had a, this really traditional, nice dinner. And uh, I remember, like, you know, in, in Japan, they bring out, like, 3,000 dishes to your table to eat. Like, so many you know, and they bring out the main course, and it's a fish, okay, but it looks like a fish still, all right, and like, I'm not, I'm, I'm maybe okay with it if it's like, you know, not looking like a fish, but the thing's staring at me, and so I cut into the fish, and like 300 eggs just start spilling out of the fish, and I'm like, I love you, <laughs> but I'm not eating that, you know what I mean, like, I'm willing to eat a lot of things, but I'm not eating that, you know what I mean, and they're like, everybody's like, oh, you got the fish with the eggs, you know, and I'm like, no, I don't want that one, right, but we also, we, you know, we went to this uh, hot spring while we were there, uh, in Japan, they have, it's called onsen, which is a hot spring, and uh, this was a picture from, uh, the, the hot spring here, and uh, I had to wear a robe around the hotel, which was new for me, too. And so, you know, I'm walking around. I'm about two feet taller than everybody in the hotel, and I'm the only white guy there. And so, you know, even there, I, we had this interesting experience with food that, you know, we sat down, and it was, again, it was a very traditional dinner, and they're bringing out all these dishes, and they bring out this dish with a candle under it, and then there's a lid on top. And so I take the lid off. And there's like this sea slug about this big sitting there. And I'm going, I almost passed out like right there. I'm serious. And it's, and it's like orbing, you know what I mean? It's like, 
it's like still alive. And so, you know, I get caught up in some conversation and about five minutes later, I, I, I look back at my dish and there's nothing there. And so I look across the table and it's like in the middle of the table, like moving away. And I'm like, I, I gotta eat this thing, you know? So I actually ate it and it wasn't too bad, you know? But it was, you know, but the, maybe the most interesting part of that trip, and I'm really debating if I should share this, but you know, at the hot spring, we're family. We're family. So, you know, we're at the hot spring, and you know, there's an area where the men go in, and there's an area where the women go in, right? So me and her dad are the only men in the family. Uh, he doesn't speak a lick of English. Uh, I don't speak, I mean, I know like four words in Japanese. And so we go into this place, and, and you basically, you know, I don't know how to say this, uh, but you're just, you know, you're bearing it all, okay? So you just, you, you, you take it all off, and you're, so I'm with this man that I don't know very well, and he's my father-in-law, and, you know, <laughs> what do you do? You know, you don't, you can't say anything to each other, so you're just kind of like, yeah, it's awesome, you know, like, it's great, you know, and. And there's more, there's more to the experience, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to say it, but, but uh, you know, to say the least, being married to my wife has been a journey, it's been awesome, and I cherish every moment of it, it's good memories now, and, uh, and so there's not only the differences that I see in, in our relationship in terms of where we come from and our culture, but, you know, one of the things that was different in us, one of the differences that we had was the way my wife was raised. Um, she was raised in a very stable home environment, uh, very stable, and, and, and as a result, for the most part, she's very secure in herself. And, and I grew up in a, in a home that was pretty much broken, and so I grew up uh, with a lot of feelings of abandonment and a lot of feelings of, you know, fear that people were going to leave me behind and, like, I wasn't going to be good enough. And this was a huge difference and the thing about relationships is it, it tends to surface these things that you didn't really know that were there until you're in the relationship. Like nobody warns you about these things before, you know. And, and so what would happen in our relationship is that I would get really just controlled by insecurity and fear. And, and a lot of times what ended up happening was that Ayumi felt a lot of pressure because she felt like she was always like, under the microscope, or if she did one thing wrong, like, it was going to hurt my feelings, and, and it got to the point in our relationship where we felt like she just kind of felt like, I don't know if I can handle this pressure. I don't know, you know, if this is, if I can, if I can handle this, like, for forever, you know, I don't know if I can do this, and, and when, like, when she was saying that, it was like, I was like, my heart was being, like, ripped out of my chest, you know, because it's like, like what I wanted to say is you don't understand, like you don't know, you know, what happened here, and you, you don't know what this person did to me, and, and, I, and I wanted to justify, and I wanted to make a lot of excuses of why those things were happening, but I knew that basically I had two options at that point. I, I had two options before me, and either I blame someone else, or I take responsibility. Either I put the blame and I start telling her whose fault it is or what am I going to do about it? And as hard as it was, it's one of the best things that happened in our relationship. And I feel like it really prepared us because a few months later we got engaged and then we got married. You know, but, but that was a really challenging time. And there was this huge tension in my heart because I felt like I wanted, I wanted to take the easy way out. And I didn't want to take responsibility for these challenges that I had in my heart. But I feel like when I finally took responsibility and I owned it and I said, I'm going to do something about it, I feel like God blessed it in our relationship. And everything in me just wanted to make excuses. But I can't help but feel that the same the same tension that I wrestled with in that moment is the same tension I believe that we are experiencing as a church in this moment. Let me explain. 
You see, we have a church that is full of all kinds of different people. I mean, just take a look around and, and look at the diversity that we have. We have people that come from all walks of life, all types of different cultures. We have people here that are, are more mature in age, and we have younger people. We have people with different colors of skin, but we are united in one name. That's Jesus Christ. You see, we are a different people. We're all coming from different places in life. But also, I understand that in this room, there's people that have been a part of this church for 20, 30 years. And there's some of you that have only been here for three months. Right? I, I realize that there's some people in this church that when it comes to how the church runs and how it goes, they have a much more conservative viewpoint. And they tend to look back and reminisce about some of the great things that used to happen. And by, by all means, there were some great things, but we want to, there's a group of people that tend to want to hold on to, to, to what happened before, the traditions. And then you got a group of people, maybe on the more younger side, they, they kind of have this more, you know, uh, taking a risk kind of mentality. And they're not afraid to make mistakes. They're not afraid to take a leap out and learn new things. And, and, and so, as you can tell, I could keep going on and on, but we have a group of people here that are so different. They're so diverse. And I believe that if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, if we're going to become the church that I believe God is calling us to be and where he wants us to go, I believe it's going to, take a, it's going to be a long, hard look in the mirror for every one of us where we ask the question, how am I responsible for where the church is now? And you know what everything in us wants to say? It's not my fault. Let me explain to you why, why this happened and why it's this way. And, and what we want to do is we want to put the blame somewhere else. But I think we got to take a look in the mirror, church, and say, how am I responsible? And, or let me put it this way. What am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? And the options are that you can either blame someone or you can take responsibility. You see, the first church was born out of this same tension. I, didn't know, I don't know if you know that. But the very tension I'm talking about, the first church was born out of that same tension. I'll show you. You want to see? You want to see? All right, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. I read this, but look, I'm going to show you something. Therefore, let all, this is Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, saying, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Wow. Whom you crucified. Peter is basically saying, you put Jesus on the cross. In which I'm sure somebody in the crowd raises their hand or maybe they're going, uh, hey, Pete, Peter, uh, I don't even know, I wasn't even here. You're telling me I, I'm responsible that, that, that I crucified Jesus, but I, I wasn't even to Jerusalem at that time. I wasn't even here when this event took place. How dare you tell me I'm responsible that this man's blood is on me. But they had a choice to make in that moment. In that moment, they had a choice to make. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And I'm telling you, it's only by the Holy Spirit that they were cut. Because I know that even as I speak to you today, that some people, if it's just me speaking to you, what am I going to do? 
but when God enters the picture. Just when people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were pierced to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Didn't I just, we just talk about that question? What do I need to do? Hey, Peter, brothers, what do we need to do? They took responsibility. You know, some people say that, some scholars say that there was about 10,000 people there that day. We know that 3,000 people accepted it. That means a lot of people rejected that message. But they had a choice to make. And Peter says, and these people turn to Peter and they say, you know what? We own it. We own it. I believe that we are responsible. We did crucify Jesus. What do we need to do? And because they accepted this message, we see that 3,000 people were baptized. And the very first church began that day. Actually, there was 3,120, if you want to be exact. But I want to share this, this statement with you. If, you. if you don't get anything else out of this time, I want to share this with you. See, taking responsibility unleashes God's response ability. See what I did there? <laughs> taking responsibility unleashes God's response ability. His ability to respond in your life. His ability to respond in this church. You know, if they had decided in that moment to make excuses and to push the blame on everybody else, the church would not have started that day. It only began because there was a group of 3,000 that said, what do we need to do? What do I need to do? You see, some of God's best work happens when we start to take responsibility. And I believe when we all say, I'm going to be and I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to do something about this. What are we going to do about this? Not what are you going to do about this. What is the leaders going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? When we can begin to say that, we are going to see an explosion of God's power that we've never seen before in this church. Amen? Amen. I believe it. And now we get to take a look. We get a, a little snapshot of what God wanted the church to look like. I know it was 2,000 years ago, but I don't care. It don't matter. I believe this is what God wants us to be today. That this is the, the church, the kind of church he wants us to be. And so this is an opportunity for us to, as a church to look in the mirror. You ready? Anybody like looking in mirrors? So you, you guys are lying right now. I like looking in mirrors, okay? You know, I saw some of you walk by tinted windows. You're like checking yourself out. Like you like looking at yourself. It's okay. It's okay, but we're going to take a look in the mirror. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is the first church. Okay? It says they devoted themselves. It says they devoted themselves. What was the church like? Since they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What was the church like? You see, you know, most people, when you ask them what the church is, a lot of people will refer you to some kind of building, right? They'll give you an address of the church that they go to. Because in, in their mind, this is what the church is. This is what the church represents. It's a building. But it doesn't mention buildings anywhere in this passage. Because they didn't have a building to meet in. So what did the church look like? Well, it said that they were devoted. It says that they were devoted. That they had devoted themselves. That means that these people gave themselves to one another. They devoted themselves. You know, a lot of you have, you know, here today, you, you've never given yourself to anything. You've never given yourself to anything. 
You know, you look at people up here like Jenny singing. You think Jenny just, you know, I mean, maybe it's natural. But she, the way she sings is so amazing and so beautiful. But that took hours and hours of practice and singing, you know. Sometimes when Robin is playing piano, I'm like, hey, Robin, can you hook me up with some background music? She's like, I got you, bro. You know, so she, she doesn't say it like that. That's my interpretation. <laughs> but, but she says, she's like, I got you. I'll, I'll, yeah, I got it, you know. And, and she just busts it out on the piano. And, and, and that doesn't just happen. It's because she gave herself to what she was doing. She practiced piano, and now she plays, I mean, she shreds the piano. She eats the piano for breakfast, right? <laughs> if you give yourself to something, then you get the result. If you give yourself to something, then you get the result. For a lot of us, we think that we can be shallow doing 11 things at once, and then somehow we're going to be spiritual. Never is gonna, never's happened, it's never going to happen. It says that they devoted themselves. They, they devoted themselves. This means that, that they had to back off some things because there were some new things. They devoted themselves to what things? To the teaching of the apostles, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Because of their devotion, look what it produced. We get a picture of this as well. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I mean, if that's not taking responsibility for your own people, I don't know what is. They sold their own stuff to take care of their, their people or anybody who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, praise God, and enjoying the favor of all the people. And I love this part. And they tried really hard and they added to their number daily those living No. It says the Lord. God added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, I just want to give you a quick life lesson or maybe a spiritual lesson here. You see, God's responsibility is growth. Your responsibility is devotion. Okay? God's responsibility is to grow. Your responsibility is to devote yourself to him. And through your devotion and through our devotion to him, to one another, God will make things grow. And we don't got to try really hard. He will do the growing. Amen? And the one we're going to look at specifically is uh, fellowship. We're going to look at fellowship here for a moment. You guys with me so far? This word fellowship is so huge in the Bible. It's so huge. In fact, this word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. Can you say that? Koinonia. Say it all together like we're unified. Koinonia. Thank you. Koinonia means sharing of your life and of your heart on some Friday night event to have fun. This is more. This is, this is sharing of your life and in your heart. In Acts chapter 4, it says that the people were of one heart and one soul. Koinonia. When they called each other brother and sister, they meant it. They meant it. Unfortunately, so many people say, hey, brother, hey, sister, but they don't even know anyone in the church. You don't even care about these people that you call brother, and you call me brother, and you call me sister. You know, I was reading something uh, that this, this uh, Christian author, Christian um, leader, his name's Francis Chan. Many of you maybe have heard of Francis Chan. 
Uh, but he shares this example in his book, and I wanted to read it to you or share it with you. He talks about a guy that was in his church, and, and this is what he had shared. He said that there was, a, there was a, a guy, and he had been a part of a gang. He had been a part of a gang, but he decided to ditch everything in his life and follow Jesus, and he got baptized. And after a while, though, he, he stopped really coming to church, and he stopped coming to the gatherings that the church he attended. He stopped going to these things. And, and one of the guys in the church called him up, and they said, hey, is everything going okay? Are you, are you doing all right? We haven't seen you for a while. I just want to see if you're doing okay. And he says, yeah, when I got baptized. You see, when I got baptized, I, I thought it was going to be like when I got jumped into the gang. And when I got jumped into my gang, he says, suddenly everybody had my back. Everybody had my back 24-7. We became like a family. He said, so when I got baptized, I thought this was, this is what the whole church would be like. I thought this is what it would be like with the other Christians. He goes, I didn't know that it was just Sunday mornings and Wednesday night. I thought it was going to be family. I guess I had it wrong. I guess I had it wrong in my head. And Francis Chan is on, on, in, the, in, this, in this video, on this message, he's just going, the gangs, you know, they have a better picture of fellowship than the church. You don't have it wrong. We have it wrong. They're having a fellowship that we don't see in the church of Jesus Christ, and yet that's the thing that Jesus wanted more than anything else for us. And they didn't, and the people in this time, the church here, they didn't know anything else. They didn't know anything else because this was their family. This was their family. You see, most people who followed Jesus in this culture were, were outcasted by their families. And when your family found out that you were a follower of Christ, they said, get out of here. You betrayed the Jewish religion. And so their family became the family of God. You know, we were in Japan uh, just last month. And every time that we're in Japan, we visit our, our sister or our partner church in Tokyo. And it's always amazing to worship God with people that are from another country and you don't even speak their language. And, you know, I could read Japanese, so I'm singing in their language. I don't really know what I'm saying, but I'm singing. But it's just so amazing to be with these brothers and these sisters from a different country who are calling on the name of Jesus. It's amazing. And there's a, you know, this time we usually leave right after church to go kind of explore Tokyo. But this time we decided to stay behind and fellowship and hang out with the people. And so I got into a conversation and there was this young guy, his name was Deitch. Deitch. And uh, Deitch, this guy was an amazing guy. Incredible. About nine months old spiritually. And uh, he was sharing with me how he had been on a mission team like a month before and that his dream in his life was to be on a mission team to Osaka to share the gospel with his people. I thought, man, this is amazing. And so I thought, you know what, like, you know, he, he, he kind of was looking up to me and because, and you know, I've, I've been around just for a little while, it doesn't mean anything, but he, he was just kind of like asking me questions and, and so I thought, you know, I'm gonna encourage him with a, a scripture, just 1 Timothy 4.12, you know, like, just because you're young, don't let anybody look down on you. And I shared the scripture with him and he's like, oh, bro, so awesome you know he's like this is so amazing you know you're so oh, oh. you know he was like super encouraged and I'm sitting here going like this guy is the most amazing can I take him home with me like I <laughs> this guy is amazing his heart was gold but what you don't know is that nine months earlier when he got baptized his parents came with him to church that morning and they sat down with the campus ministry leaders, and I said, what are you doing with our son? And they explained it. And after that conversation, they walk up to their son and they say, 
If you do this, you're not a part of our family anymore. And he got baptized that day. Like that is his family. This is our family. And the problem that that happens in the church is we hear that and we read that verse and we try to teach that and we try to drill that into people. But what we really need to realize is that they weren't taught how to be devoted. That was a result of them being filled with the Spirit of God. And so what I want to point out here is that, yes, we should be teaching these things. In fact, the Bible commands us to teach. And so we will teach. And we will do these things. But, but they didn't do it because Peter gave them a six-month course on how to be devoted to the church. No. When you and I are controlled by the Holy Spirit, we love God's people. And we want to be with them. We want to take responsibility for our family. This is our family. When the Holy Spirit is, isn't controlling you, you could care less. End of story. When the Holy Spirit isn't controlling you, you could care less. You can, you can teach people to be a part of a church, but you can't make someone want to be a part of the church. You can't, I can't make you. I could talk to you blue in the face and tell you how important it is to go to church. But I can't make you want to go to church. I can't make you want to be a part of the body. But when the Spirit is in you, you start caring about your brothers and sisters. This isn't just a Sunday morning, Wednesday night thing. This is a daily fellowship. This is a daily communion with God and with one another. If the Spirit doesn't give you that, you can't teach somebody to love someone. How do you do that? How do you do that? And that tells us a lot about where we're all at and where you're at and where I'm at. I mean, if I would rather be hanging out with, with friends who are non-believers than my brothers and sisters in Christ, then I need something new to happen in me. I need the Spirit of God to change me. I'm not going to argue with you and try to convince you. What am I going to do doing that? How can you teach somebody koinonia to give up their heart and their soul to somebody? How do you teach that? I can tell you, I could teach you, but how can I make you want to do that? How am I going to make you want to be sacrificial? How am I going to make you want to love others more than yourself? I can teach you, but the Holy Spirit can show you. He can show you how to love. Only the Spirit can show me how to take responsibility for my brother and for my sister. You know, as we close out, before we take communion, I want us to, to, to take a minute and just fix our eyes on Jesus. Because you see, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says to us, you see, at just the right time, when we were, we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely, this is a rare thing. It's very rare that somebody would sacrifice themselves for somebody else. It's very rare that somebody would inconvenience themselves for another person. It's very rare that I would take responsibility for something that I feel like maybe I don't, I, I didn't do. It's very rare will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus took responsibility for you. In Ephesians 5, there's this beautiful image that says Jesus gave himself for the church. He gave himself for the church. It's like God was up in heaven and he's looking down 
at the state of our world. And he's even asking the question, what, what do we need to do? What should we do? And Jesus intercedes and he goes, send me. I'll take responsibility for them. But Jesus, do you, do you not understand that, that, that you're, you're going to be ridiculed, that you're going to be mocked, that you're going to be beaten, that you're going to be crucified? Yeah. Send me. I'll die for them. I will give myself for them. I will give myself for this church. And as we take communion, as we look at Jesus, he gave himself for this church. And I think it's time for us to look in the mirror as we look at Jesus and as we follow him. We ask the question, what do I need to do? How can I take responsibility to see this church become what God wants it to become? And thank God for Jesus that he showed us the way. Thank God that he gave himself for us. He died for us while we were still sinners so that we could be gathered as a church this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. We're so grateful to be in your presence, God, and we look around and, and we, we know, I think there's a unified spirit in the church that we know that, 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 that the church should, should be different. God, that, that we should be giving of ourselves, that we should be devoted to you, God, that, 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 you, that we would be giving ourselves to one another, that we would be experiencing this kind of love, God. And I just pray, I just come before you and I beg you, I take responsibility. I take responsibility, God. What do you want me to do? What do you want us to do as a church? What do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? We'll do anything, God, to be what you want us to be. This is my family. I'll take responsibility. I pray that we all take responsibility, God. Holy Spirit, fill us with this heart to take responsibility, to, to ask the question of ourselves, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do we need to do? Not what you or they need to do. What do I need to do? How can I take responsibility? Thank you that Jesus took responsibility for us, even though he didn't have to. But he did. And God, we, we praise you for that. We say thank you. We are so grateful. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name.